This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Hurley. Season 6, Episode 13, A Peaceful Transfer of Power. At approximately 7.15 a.m., Wednesday, January 20th, President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump emerged from the family quarters of the White House for the last time. They posed for a few photographs before the entrance to the White House and then made their way to the Marine One helicopter for the brief flight to Andrews Air Force Base, where a farewell ceremony was to take place. At about the same time, on the other side of town, the president-elect, Joe Biden, and Dr. Jill Biden, a short distance from the White House, prepared to attend Mass at St. Matthew the Apostles Cathedral. Joe Biden, the second Roman Catholic to serve as president, wished to begin Inauguration Day with a celebratory Mass with the senior members of Congress and his administration in attendance to mark the beginning of his term as President of the United States. The public and visible transfer of executive power from outgoing to incoming president is a time-honored tradition of American history. On March 4, 1801, John Adams, our second president of the United States, quietly left Washington, D.C. in the early hours of the morning. He declined to attend the swearing-in of his erstwhile friend and rival, Thomas Jefferson. While Adams had suffered a humiliating defeat at the hands of Jefferson in the previous November, he was determined that the transfer of power was orderly, peaceful, and without rancor. It was the first such transfer of power between political rivals in the U.S. Constitution and history. And the tradition set that day, 219 years ago, continues to this very day. Since then, every loser of a presidential election has willingly and peacefully surrendered power to the winner regardless of personal animosity or political differences. Though Adams and Trump did not attend the swearing-in of their successors, a majority of outgoing presidents have attended the inaugurations of their successors. George Herbert Walker Bush began a new tradition of writing a letter of support to his successor. In that case, in 1993, it was Bill Clinton, and he left that letter on the desk, the president's desk, the Resolute Desk, which was a gift of Queen Victoria to the President of the United States. He left that letter in the desk in the Oval Office. All presidents since then have continued that same tradition. Donald Trump left such a letter for President Biden which President Biden described as having been very generous. Andrew Jackson, the seventh president, defeated John Quincy Adams, and Adams, following his own father's example, left Washington, D.C. 
in the early morning hours of Inauguration Day before the new president was to be sworn in. A mob of 20,000 people flooded into the White House on Inauguration Day to greet the new frontier president, who was actually from Tennessee. That's where our frontier was at the time. And this mob of 20,000 caused so much chaos and broke so much furniture during their greeting of the new president that President Jackson himself was forced to flee the White House through a side door. Andrew Johnson, who had succeeded Abraham Lincoln after Lincoln's assassination, declined to attend U.S. Grant's inauguration in 1869. Eisenhower's hatred of Harry Truman caused him not to enter the White House on January 2nd, and Ike waited outside in his limousine, waiting for President Truman, so the two of them could ride up Pennsylvania Avenue to Capitol Hill for the inauguration of President Eisenhower. So with those traditions in mind, Donald Trump went to Andrews Air Force Base yesterday morning and made a farewell address to his supporters, friends, and family before boarding Air Force One for the last time for the flight to Florida. While Joe Biden, after mass, was driven with his wife and family in a simple black Chevrolet suburban SUV, he was driven to the Capitol for the start of the ceremonies. The traditional drive of the two presidents from the White House to the Capitol along Pennsylvania Avenue was not to be. Joe Biden, our everyman president, arrived at the rear entrance to the Capitol and quietly made his way to the reviewing stand. And of course, that reviewing stand had just been erected in the last two weeks. And he made his way to the reviewing stand without fanfare. While the traditions surrounding the transfer of power from one president to the other are historical, and they were largely observed, this inauguration day, however, was far from typical. As a result of the COVID pandemic, the large crowds of onlookers and supporters who usually congregate on the mall below the reviewing stand to watch the inauguration, and they number in the tens of thousands, this time around, however, they were absent due to social distancing policies because of the pandemic. In the place of the crowds, acres of American flags fluttered in the frigid winds that whipped through Washington, and it was odd to see acres and acres of American flags fluttering in the wind where normally tens of thousands of our fellow citizens and supporters would have been. 25,000 National Guard soldiers were brought into town to protect the new president and political leaders, and their presence, and visible presence, I might add, added a very untraditional and military air to the proceedings. Scenes such as those are not typical of American democracy and are more common in Latin America or Eastern Europe. 
it was a sad reminder of the security breaches which had taken place on the very same spot two weeks earlier, January 6th. The memory of those riots were still fresh in everyone's mind. Several National Guardsmen were in fact separated from their units in the last few days, due in part to their prior membership in armed militias. While the U.S. Constitution prescribes the exact date and time of the start of the president's term of office, namely January 20th at 12 noon, Joseph R. Biden Jr. took the oath of office at 11.48 a.m. The 35-word oath, quote, to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, was administered by Chief Justice John Roberts, and it was administered 11 minutes before the the, the actual presidency formally changed hands. Vice President Harris was sworn in by Justice Sonia Sotomayor on a Bible which had once belonged to the late Justice Thurgood Marshall. In his inaugural address, the new 46th President of the United States spoke of a return to the ordinary discord of democracy and a reminder that, quote, politics does not have to be a raging fire destroying everything in its path. Unquote. His plea for national unity, which has been so sorely lacking the last four years, was anchored in his belief after working in the Senate and the White House for 47 years that America can return to an era where, quote, enough of us come together to carry all of us forward, unquote. His words are all the more potent as they were being delivered from the very same steps where that violent attack was launched two weeks ago. Everything about the ceremony, the president, and the speech exuded normalcy. No drama, no soaring, exaggerated rhetoric. It was typical of the mild-mannered senator from Delaware who routinely rode the Amtrak commuter train home every night from Washington, D.C. to Wilmington, Delaware, to be with his family. He clearly has lowered the temperature and restored a semblance of calm in Washington. Yet he takes office amidst a period of so many traumas, ranging from the pandemic, 400,000 Americans dead, as a result of the pandemic, economic dislocation, huge unemployment, and lockdowns. But unlike most modern presidents of the last 50 years, Joe Biden is lucky in that he does not inherit any new wars or any U.S. military ventures started by his predecessor. Donald Trump was true to his word in not starting any new foreign military entanglements. So that is one less set of problems for Biden to have to solve and to confront. And he must win over 
tens of millions of Americans who believe that our electoral process during 2020 was corrupted and compromised by a partisan grab to impose mail-in voting in the largest states in the country and ballot harvesting practices for the benefit of his own party. Not to mention the Senate trial of his predecessor and the possible disqualification of Trump from future office. And all that for a man who won 74 million votes in November when he ran against Joe Biden. Biden's soothing calls for national unity must be followed up by clear and credible actions. Quote, we must end this uncivil war, red against blue, rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal, unquote. And that was his, what he implored. His 21-minute speech blended high-minded themes with his characteristic folksiness. Like most presidents, Joe Biden will enjoy a honeymoon with the American people. While the American people know the senator and the vice president, he's always been the bridesmaid but never the bride, now, in 2021, they will have to take their measure of President Biden's actions. They've never seen his actions before because he never actually got to take any. So they will take their measure of President Biden's actions against the rhetoric of his address on Inauguration Day yesterday, January 20th, to see whether he truly is the leader who combined the wounds that divide us as a nation. His party won wafer-thin majorities in the House and the Senate, which may well evaporate when or if radical legislation comes before them. For instance, the Trump tax cuts are likely to remain in place. The tough China policies and the tariffs against Chinese goods are likely to continue. And opening up the southern border to caravans of undocumented migrants during the COVID pandemic are all unlikely to command Democrat majorities in Congress. But a $1.9 trillion COVID relief package is likely to be enacted at a minimum. At the same time, the push-pull from the AOC squad versus endangered moderate Democrats in the 2022 midterm elections will require Biden to summon up every bit of his legislative compromise skills which he honed during his time in the U.S. Senate. There was no soaring rhetoric in his speech yesterday like JFK's, quote, we will pay any price, bear any burden to defend the, co the cause of freedom around the world. No, thank you. We don't need that. Those words and those sentiments gave us the Vietnam War and Castro assassination shenanigans, among other things. Biden is a modest man with modest ambitions. A safe pair of hands, as the British say. In fact, his moderate, restrained instincts is what sent 
the Democratic National Committee rushing to crown him as the nominee last spring, when faced with the prospect of Bolshevik Bernie as the Democrat nominee to run against Trump. So is Joe Biden an affable seat warmer for some as yet to be designated younger Democrat candidate? Or can he bring about a generational realignment of American politics for the next 25 years along a liberal platform? And that, in the face of the 74 million Trump voters who now appear to be accepting of Donald Trump's populism. It remains to be seen which of the two sides, whether liberalism or populism, is going to become the dominant generational realignment of American politics. But that realignment is underway and it's taking shape. We wish our new president good luck and Godspeed. His success is our success. Please visit our website for blog posts on this and other podcast episodes. The address for the website is www.thesanfranciscoexperiencepodcast.com. My sources for today's podcast include history.com, the New York Times, Politico, and the San Francisco Chronicle. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, reporting from San Francisco, America's favorite city.